0: This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop
1: culture with magazine editor Ben McEachan and script writer Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world.
2: Konnichiwa, I'm Ben McKekin. And I'm his squeaky clean friend, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 134 of The Big Picture for the week beginning November 14. And coming up on today's show...
1: The hard-hitting true story of Winnie the Pooh. Plus Nicole Kidman and Colin Farrell in The Killing of a Sacred Deer. And the Avengers' biggest rivals, Justice League. It's in cinemas, Mark, and we are going to talk about it real soon on the show. As well as many other things, including, that's right, the hard-hitting true story of where Winnie the Pooh came from. Brace yourselves, people. (laughs) (laughs) Winnie the Pooh! (laughs) Goodbye, Christopher Robin is coming up very soon on the show. Before we get there, though, Mark, uh, here's a couple of other things that are happening movie-wise around the place. This Thursday... One of those many movies that I know you put down in your calendar and think, I've just got to go and see this. Daddy's Home 2.
2: <laughs> I read the script just as you saw that and thought, yeah. oh, yes, that was me. That
1: was you, yeah. <laughs> Daddy's Home 2. The follow-up to the rival dad's movie that Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg were in a couple of years ago called Daddy's Home. It looks like the sequel's going a bit Meet the Fockers. Like, so Mel Gibson is showing up as Mark Wahlberg's dad and John Lithgow as Will Ferrell's dad. I didn't see the first one. Can't say I'm like. Huge. Well, the,
2: the first one was pretty kind of cringy, embarrassing humour. Yeah, so Was this any is, good?
1: um, meh. Ah, okay. You know. That's not kind of what I thought, which is why I didn't check it out. But I actually like the idea of Mel Gibson and Mark Wahlberg as a father and son combination. So that's at cinemas this Thursday. And also this Thursday, a lot of tweeny, teeny bopper releases are coming to Blu-ray, DVD, online, etc., etc. Everything, Everything is one of those, as well as Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Which has great special effects. Which that's, that's <laughs> about all Mark will positively say about that movie. And I think by my last reckoning for the 1,000th and 300th Time, there's a Harry Potter box set new edition that's coming out this Thursday. So if you want, if your shelves to have any more space on them for Harry Potter, for Harry Potter. There is a new Harry Potter box set coming out this week on Blu-ray and DVD. Well, you know,
2: it's a very interesting rundown to Christmas on TV. So if you're tuning into TV, next Monday on ABC Me is the event that the entire household at my place has all been waiting for. The Junior Eurovision Song Contest of 2017. Yes.
1: In <laughs> short, I love Eurovision. Seriously. <laughs> I'd like, I'm like. i down with that. I'm going to be watching that. That's this and week? It, and it gets even better because now it's kids. You know, rather than actually watching adults. So you get
2: to go, wow, ah. Wow, and, ah, I'm in, yeah. This event sees 17 countries from across Europe and their most talented 9- to 14-year-old performers. I mean, I've seen some of these previews for this show, and you see these 13-year-olds, you go, wow, you look, well, for a start, you look 22. But um, wow, like the ability of these people. Anyway, this year, will take the place of the, uh, it will be uh, done in Tbilisi Sports Palace in Georgia. Okay. Uh, and shine bright is the inspirational theme. Our entrant is Isabella Clark, a 13-year-old from Victoria, who's going to represent Australia singing speak up actually go and if you've got a chance google speak up have a look at the video it is one shot it is amazing whoever did this did a really
1: good job filming this the the music's nice too i was just thinking about how amazing it is that australia remains part of europe only (laughs) when the eurovision song contest comes around australia you've done it again (laughs) well there you go now now, before, mate, we get to our first review of this week, Goodbye, Christopher Robin, which is now what your kids are watching section of the show. Before we get there, here's a true or false to do with the subject matter of Goodbye, Christopher Robin, which, of course, is Winnie the Pooh. Now, Winnie the Pooh was written by A.A. A. Milne. It was a story that had to do with his son, Christopher Robin, and adventures that they invented in their heads. But... Where did the name of Winnie the Pooh actually come from? Because it's named after Christopher Robin, A.M. Ellen's son's bear. But who did they name that bear after? Was it Winnie, who was a black bear living in the London Zoological Gardens? Or was it their great aunt Winnie, a rather large and robust elderly aunt? Or <laughs> was it the British Prime Minister of the time, Stanley Baldwin, whose middle name was Winnie? ...because of his Welsh heritage. Oh, wow. I, I was waiting for the Winston Churchill reference and it's none of those. No, it's none <laughs> so, of those. there we go. Okay. Was it black bear, great aunt Winnie or the British Prime Minister's middle name at the time? You can find out which one of those is true... After we talk about Goodbye, Christopher Robin. And speaking of Goodbye, Christopher Robin, are you a kid? Well, you probably should
2: be in bed. I don't know what you're doing (laughs) listening to this program. Go to sleep. But we're glad you've (laughs) snuck out to listen to the big picture. It is nice to have your ears here. On the crystal set radio that you've constructed with various things from your toolkits. Get around the wireless. Were you once a kid, though? I I, I was. I definitely was. Whether you were once or are now, Winnie the Pooh is a memorable fellow we know you've had a lot to do with. Goodbye, Christopher Robin is a new drama about the creation of that beloved bear and the real-life aftermath of his fame and fortune.
3: Mummy says you're writing a book to stop people going to war. Mm. I think your book is a jolly good idea. You're the only one that does. I'd really like if you wrote a book for me. I'd definitely read it. Shall we go for a walk? Aren't you working? It doesn't seem likely. Can you think of a good name for a donkey? Eeyore. They'll be gone in a minute. Bees are good, aren't they? They just want to make honey. Yes, uh, I completely forgot about bees. Life is full of frightful things. The great thing is to find something to be happy about.
1: Goodbye Christopher Robin is set between the First World War and the Second World War. A. A. Milne, who's played by Dom Hall Gleeson, is a London playwright, done quite well for himself. He served in the First World War, comes back, um, as you can imagine, quite traumatised, quite scarred by the experience. As she sets out to write a book about against war, really wants to do that at the time. His wife, Daphne, played by Australian actress Margot Robbie, isn't so enamoured of that idea. Basically, she just wants him to keep writing funny plays, which is what everyone else around him also wants to do. Oh, just cheer up and have a good laugh. Just cheer up, mate. You'll be right. Uh, but A.A. A. Milne um, sort of soldiers on, excuse the pun, and really wants to write this book moves his family from London to the country and uh, in the country, when he starts uh, befriending his son more because his young son he hasn't had too much to do with up until this point, Christopher Robin who's played by his great little actor called Will Tilston as they uh, form more of a father-son bond in their rural countryside home the the, the origin story of Winnie the Pooh comes to life and then Goodbye Christopher Robin from that point um, uh, demonstrates uh, how Winnie the Pooh just went off like a rocket around the world and the massive impact Impact it had, but also the huge impact it had on the family dynamics of the Milne family as well.
2: Now I've got to ask: um, Is you know, with the, all the talk of World War One and um, and the shadows of World War Two approaching, and um, all the sort of you know, tension that's going post-traumatic stress disorder, I guess in terms of what's happening with a. 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 Milne, is this really a kids' film, or is this one of those adult? Kids' films, you know what I'm saying?
1: We've slotted it into what your kids are watching this week because it's PG rated. It's all about Winnie the Pooh. Well, it's it's what's well, kind of about Winnie the Pooh. That's more the thing. So, getting to your point, I think a lot of people uh, might be thinking this is a family film to go and see. I'm not. I'm not saying it isn't. But if you're taking your kids along and they love Winnie the Pooh, like my two and a half year old daughter loves Winnie the Pooh uh i would suggest don't take them along cuz they'll be savagely disappointed by how little Winnie the Pooh there's not even there's no animated Winnie the Pooh here it is more about the the creation no, of this character so eor gets a mention oh, okay. but uh and so does tigger and the, and the rest of the gang but this Piglets. is this is a piglet. <laughs> yeah, they're all there, Mark. They're all there. Okay, <laughs> um, but this is like more like saving Mr. Banks. So yes, I think this isn't an, an adult's movie for a, a kids' movie for adults. Like saving Mr. Banks, that film about the um, uh, Mary Poppins becoming Emma a, Thompson and, a and Tom Disney, Hanks. Yeah. A Disney musical that Emma Thompson and Tom Hanks are in. Much more like that. Great, solid drama, Mark. Period piece. Um, fantastically acted. Really well scripted. Really, really well paced. For me, only lag slightly in the middle. Otherwise, after seeing the trailer, which I thought was just uh, whatever... I Thought Goodbye, Christopher Robin is one of the best biopics I've seen for some time. Wow, that hard heart of yours was pried open for
2: a little sunshine. Nice. It was. Well, what did you learn about family relationships behind Winnie the Pooh? I mean, there's obviously this whole thing's built out of a family. Yeah. What did you learn about the family?
1: Well, it's it's fascinating. Um, I think Don Hall Gleeson does a great job as A.A. A. Milne, this writer, who a guy, a guy is, yeah clearly traumatised, attached, quite clinical and cold, but also very appealing at the same time. And watching his uh, him develop a bond with his son, you know... I think the family relationship seem a lot of the time. So there was a distance between the parents and a lot of care was given to Christopher Robin by a nanny who's played really well by Kelly MacDonald in this film. But these distance relationships and then coming closer and what came out of that, which led to the formation of Winnie the Pooh, is some of the best part of this film, watching a father and son bond over, over these adventures. But then how the relationships in the family fracture, the bigger Winnie the Pooh becomes as a global phenomena, is actually really quite sad. And uh, at, at, at different points, A.M.U.L.D. and his wife Daphne effectively force their son into the spotlight because Christopher Robin becomes a big, big deal um, because he becomes so famous through the Winnie the Pooh books. He's like one of the first child stars. He I mean. is, he is. And this film, at, at, at almost halfway through, shifts its focus to Christopher Robin and the impact on him. So you see uh, what happens to him and particularly the the damage it does between he and his, and his parents, uh, that drives a lot of the drama that we see. Goodbye Christopher Robin Wow okay Well uh, In one respect
2: Winnie the Pooh is uh, I don't know how to, how to put this A bit twee Like it's a bit sure. it's a bit of a different world You know It's like tea and crumpets And it's like Honey sandwiches And wandering through the forest It's a much different world Than one that we live in now Times have changed Is there some enduring message, something that that transcends the generations to come to our generation?
1: Yeah, in the last, I reckon, 20 minutes of the film, if you don't come out thinking that this is an enormous parental warning about um, how you should care and look after your kids, particularly in the face of fame, then I think you're you're watching an entirely different movie. Even though this is set uh, many decades ago in a vastly different time and world and all that kind of thing, it is so similar to today where we have more and more and more avenues for people to become more and more and more famous. I think Goodbye Christopher Robin stands strong as a story, as a cautionary tale about the damage that can be done if you seek to become famous, particularly with you and your children involved. The The potential harm of that is such a risk. You really need to weigh that up. Goodbye Christopher Robin. Robin provides that in spades and will leave you thinking much longer after the credits roll. Wow. Okay, well, Goodbye Christopher Robin. stars Donald Gleason, Margot Robbie, and Will Tilston. Uh, it's rated PG
2: for mild themes and opens at sporting cinemas around our nation from this Thursday, November 23rd.
1: Okay, before we get to the rest of the show, very quickly, here is the answer coming to the true or false I posed earlier about the origins of Winnie the Pooh's name. Is it based on a bear in the London Zoological Garden, based on Great Aunt Winnie, or the British Prime Minister at the time and his middle name. I'm just going with Great Aunt Winnie. I'd like to imagine a woman like that. Uh, no, you really should have gone for the obvious. It's named after a black bear. This is um, okay. n- this was nicely demonstrated in the movie Goodbye, Christopher Robinson- Robin. Goodbye, Christopher Robin. There was a black bear in the London Zoo at the time that Christopher Robin was very struck by, hence Winnie the Pooh. Well, do you like that little crazy in your thrillers? Stay tuned
2: for the killing of sacred deer. Plus, Batman, Wonder Woman and all the gang just ahead
1: in Justice League. And Welcome back to The Big Picture. And if you've missed any of the past episodes of The Big Picture, Go and find us on iTunes or wherever you get great podcasts from. Find The Big Picture Show and enjoy. Indeed, and now we've come up to the soundtrack
2: segment of our show. In the run up to Christmas, you can expect lots of reruns of great Christmas classics on TV. Personally, I'm looking forward to a Muppet Christmas Carol and Santa Claus versus the Martians. <laughs> it's so what about it- Santa Claus with muscles, starring Hulk Hogan? I have not seen that. <laughs> that's okay. a real film. Well, that one to look forward to. Here's another one. A new title that's being added to this list this year is The Star, the story of Jesus' birth told by the animals around his manger. So we thought it'd be good to get the seasons celebrations going with a little something from the stars soundtrack Sorry, we couldn't actually allow that to go on just forever. Uh, what Christmas Means to Me is actually a semi tragic song when you think about it. Because. Semi tragic? Well, this. It is, sounded quite cheerful film, and boppy. The film The Star is really good. And this particular version, What Christmas Means to Me by Saving Forever, is by a little American pop band. Um, and it's basically three brothers Caden, 13 year old, Kai, 15, and Kavar Harris, 16. Triple
1: uh, K Harris's.
2: Yeah, the, the Triple K. Um, you'd be given for thinking that you'd heard this song before, and that's basically because they're not the first people to cover it. In fact, What Christmas Means to Me has been covered by everyone from Hanson, who they sound remarkably like, to Stevie Wonder. Stevie
1: Wonder's done a version of I that. I know, I know. This
2: is, it's been covered at least 41 times um, and used in various films and stuff like that. And I think the reason why I chose it for soundtrack is because it's actually one of those semi-tragic things as I was referring to that happens in around Christmas time. If you try and create a Christmas film, but you don't Want Jesus in it anywhere? You end up with what is really a large amount of sentiment, uh, and what Christmas means to me has lots and lots of references to mistletoe, uh, but not a single reference to the Saviour of the world. Bit of a pity, but the star itself makes up for that, and we'll be talking a little later in the show about it.
1: Are you an art house nut? As in, are you the sort of film goer, the film lover? <laughs> who's actually a little bit let down if the movie you're watching is not black and white and subtitled in French. Is that you? (laughs) Are you that person? I'm one of those people, but I know there are a lot of people out there who aren't. But if you are a little bit like me, we've got a film for you. Greek director Yorgos Lanthimos is fast carving out a niche for himself as a director, not afraid to use the strange and disturbing to make a point. I'll I'll give you it as a point. Uh, as an example, in his last film, The Lobster, the hero lives in a world where if your wife leaves you, you have 45 days to find a new partner or you'll be turned into an animal. Like, see, see what we're saying here? He, <laughs> are you getting the point? Well,
2: he's definitely creative.
1: Yeah, and he's definitely art house with a capital A. Well, Lanthamos' new film, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, goes to great lengths to demonstrate just how many people are affected by our personal sins. Good afternoon, you must be Martin. That's right. You must be Anna That's
3: right I brought you some little gifts That's very kind of you It's a key ring with a musical note on it for Kim Because I know she likes music
0: What a charming boy How long have you known him? Quite some time His was father a... was a patient of mine I want
3: to see one more thing I'm really sorry about Bob
2: It's nothing serious No it is so this is basically a psychological thriller, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. It's all about a cardiac surgeon called Stephen Murphy, who's played by Colin Farrell, and he's secretly breffend... Brif- br- Befriended a teenage boy called Martin, and we're not sure whether or not he's his mentor or there's something else going on. Is that the
1: creepy voice in the trailer? The creepy voice in the trailer
2: was Martin. He just sounds creepy. I know, very creepy. Anyway, Stephen introduces the boy to his family, including his wife uh, Anna, played by Nicole Kidman. Our Nicole Kidman, Australia's
1: own Nicole Kidman,
2: Kidman and their two children. And Stephen eventually reveals he's the son. This Martin is the son of a man who died on his operating table three years ago. Now Stephen's two children then form mysteriously ill Martin is a very strange fish almost touched you would say uh, and he reveals that his sickness is revenge this sickness is revenge for Stephen killing his father on the operating table you're not quite sure how or why this could be it's it's very strange um, but Stephen's children will die Martin says unless the surgeon chooses one of the children over the other and puts that one to death so, I know. so the killing of a sacred deer is this psychological thriller built around an impossible choice for a parent beginning with an essential admission of guilt. It's bizarre. It is arthouse in every sense of the word. But,
1: Mark, just how arthouse is it? Now, it's got Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman, big-name stars, in this film, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. So then, therefore, how art house really is it?
2: Well, I think most people will be looking at um, Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman in the, ty- in the sort of promotions of this film and be going, oh, wow, well, this is mainstream. So I really want to pre- prepare you. Yorgos Lanthimos is a guy who's just carving out a space for the bizarre, uh, And like many European art house films, there's a fair bit of nudity, there's casual sex, uh, and it actually really left me questioning the Australian Classification Board's decision to give this uh, the label strong themes without any... What does that even mean? I know. Well, it basically means that yeah, like I said, there's sex in it, there's nudity, there's all sorts of things. You could have been a little more specific with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And this is one of those films that critics love. Like, they'll just go, oh, the dramatic sense of timing, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, how critics talk? That's how they do. Right. Uh, I've been sitting, talking to some of them, it's very hard to talk to them. <laughs> and that will leave most most audiences, though, bemused. I mean, that's the sort of film you walk out and go, what was that that we just watched? Um, it is operatic in structure. So it begins with this orchestral music and then it finishes with a finale of orchestral music. Um, the style is very much like a Greek tragedy play. There's no emotion in the characters. They're all just saying their lines flat um, without intonation or anything like that. It is Crazy. The whole script really couldn't have happened in the real world. So, you understand what we're looking at is a lesson of some kind, it's constructed to just teach you a lesson.
1: So it sounds very high art rather than the sort of film that people are just going to, oh, what am I going to see on Friday night? Oh, I'll go see The Killing of a Sacred Deer and buy a big box of popcorn and a choc top and sit down and, and really enjoy this. But you did just mention then that something about a lesson, so okay, I'll, I'll bite on that on that for the rest of us. What's the lesson in Killing of a Sacred Deer? Even if we weren't going to see it, because it sounds like you're not necessarily recommending it to well, people. Well, I, I would
2: say you've got to have film endurance to go see something like this. Like you really want to say, okay, I'm a film watcher, I'm interested in all sorts of different types of film. And I would say that the lesson is why you should see the film, it, because I don't think I've seen this lesson in a film for years and years and years. So the whole idea um, is in the title. The Killing of a Sacred Deer is this reference to a myth, okay, ancient Greek myth about a fellow called King Agamemnon who uh, killed a sacred deer belonging to the goddess Artemis. And so she takes such, this goddess takes such a dim view of what's happened that she um, says, you're going to lose your daughter if you want your kingdom and your, your uh, mission to continue. Right. No, So it's basically the idea that uh, it's not just – we've had plenty of films that tell us that our sins will find us out, okay, the the idea that eventually you can't hide from your sins. Plenty of films will tell you that one. But what I don't think very many films at all will tell you is that your sins will not only ruin your life, they'll ruin your family's life, they'll ruin the lives of everyone around you. Uh, And that's actually an interesting thing that I think that Lanthimos has done us a favour to draw into focus because we like to think that we can get away with things so long as others don't know, but Lanthorne
1: suggested our wrongs leak out and they affect everyone around us. But don't you reckon that just sounds a little bit unfair, like, like to present the consequences of sins as bleeding out so far as to affect the lives of all others? Because often there are sins that we commit that don't seem to affect others. So is this film being a little bit unfair to this character Colin Farrell's playing? It, it
2: seems that way. Um, it, it definitely sounds unfair to our normal Hollywood-tuned ears, Okay, the idea that in real life um, people don't deserve to suffer for other people's sins. But actually, if you think about it, in real life, people do suffer for other people's sins. Like an investment banker sins and the whole economy goes up in flames. Okay? Or a politician sins and his whole party can be tarnished. Um, or a father sins and it affects the future of every member of his family. Okay? And, and so this is what Lanthimos is getting at is that there's not just. You, you know, you'll pay for your own crimes, but you've got to remember that your crimes have a massive effect. And and the Bible actually says that. You know, I think some people think these are the unfair parts of the Bible, that sometimes sin plays out to the third and fourth generation, the Bible says. But the Bible's not saying, look, um, I can't wait to, as if God's sitting around going, I've got to find more people to smite. He's saying sin is such a deadly thing that if you play with that, it is going to flow over everything. And I think it's well worth it for that alone.
1: The Killing of a Sacred Deer does star Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman. It's rated MA15+, for, as Mark said, strong themes and some very disturbing themes, and maybe not the plot, maybe not the plot to justify the risk. It opened at your favourite art house cinema last week. DC's answer to the Avengers,
2: the Justice League, are just a few super punches away. Do Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, The
1: Flash, and, and Cyborg uh, live up to the legend? We'll find out. Welcome back. Now, before the break, Mark discussed this new arthouse film, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, that stars Nicole Kidman and Colin Farrell. If you missed that review, you're in luck. Go to the thebigpicturewebsite.com and find the podcast of our show and listen to your heart's content. Now, The Killing of a Sacred Deer was about illness and death and all kinds of serious stuff. Over at insights.uca.org.au, you can find a really great article on the Christian approach to dementia, about how, what influence it might have, what impact it might have if we change the language and approach to this prominent yet often poorly handled illness. And particularly for Christians, and coming from a Christian perspective, what might it look like for dementia, and particularly people suffering with dementia, what might it look like for them in Australia and around the world if we change the way we approach that. You can find that at insights.uca.org.au. Insights is a big supporter of Big Picture. We also love getting behind what they do, including pointing you towards the various movie and TV content that they have over at Insights, which also contains some of the brief yet informative chats that Mark and I have every week about the most notable movies and TV around. Go there for Murder on the Orient Express or Stranger Things Season 2. All that and more from us and Insights. insights Insights.uca.org.au Yes,
2: plus another great supporter of the show is EternityNews.com.au and so if you're thinking to yourself wow, I'm enjoying this internet journey of mine, I've found all sorts of interesting things over at Insights, jump over to EternityNews.com.au you'll find even more interesting things. Actually check out our special Eternity Videos. Uh, we've done one recently about disabled is as disabled does, as we've been talking about disability. What you can learn about living with disability from the new film Wonder, plus a little bit of my own family life thrown in too, and of course all the latest uh, reviews of releases like Justice League, Suburbicon, Murder on the Orient Express. Attorneynews.com.au. Justice League is DC Comics' version of Marvel's The Avengers. Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Aquaman, and some human robot called Cyborg team up to take on an intergalactic bad guy who's keen to overpower our planet. Sound familiar? Yeah, it's basically the plot of every superhero film you've ever heard. Ben checked out the latest blockbuster, though, and noticed how superhero stories tend to tell us the same thing about threat, hope, and salvation.
3: Arthur Curry, the Aquaman. It's on him. Organic and biomechatronic body parts. He's a cyborg.
2: You should probably move. Barry Allen.
1: Whoever you're looking for, it's not me. So, Mark, Justice League is all about a world where Superman is dead, uh, that's not a massive spoiler, because uh, if you've he seen... He did die. He did die, uh, according to a certain film called Batman vs. Superman, which died a bit of a death at the box office, let's let's be honest. but along, Justice with, League, along with the Man of Steel. Yeah, but Justice League is hoping for different results. So in this world where Superman uh, is dead, uh, there seems like hope has left the world entirely. And uh, Bruce Wayne, played by uh, Mark's favourite actor, Ben Affleck, Bruce <laughs> Wayne slash and this is giving the game away, Batman, Bruce Wayne uh, decides to run around the world and recruit a bunch of people. Uh, He mustn't know that the Avengers are around in the same universe. He doesn't go and look for Iron Man. I guess they've got their own team, Iron Man and Captain America. He doesn't try to recruit off the other team. Instead, he goes and finds other superheroes, including Wonder Woman, played again by Gal Gadot, who, now that's what, her second superhero outing in the same year, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was this year, wasn't it? That was one of the best films of this year. I know, it was one of the best. In fact, that's one of the things that people are going to be looking
2: at. Will Justice League be as good as Wonder Woman. Yeah, War. yeah.
1: So Wonder Woman jo- joins the team uh, along with with, uh, with Batman heading it up, um, Aquaman and this guy called Cyborg who I, I'd i never heard of and, and The Flash and they all team up because there's this intergalactic bad guy called Steppenwolf, which well, you can d- believe d- not, it. not
2: to be mistaken for the heavy metal band Steppenwolf. No, not, <laughs> not,
1: not at all. A voiced by the great Irish actor Kieran Hines who uh, has come to Earth to reclaim three boxes that are spreading across the world that, according to Steppenwolf, if you join all these together the unity will be formed which is basically ultimate power and, of course, because he's a bad guy, he wants to unleash that ultimate power in a negative way for the rest of us. So what are the Justice League going to do? They're going to try to save
2: us. Just quickly, before we get into the film, don't you think it would have been a little more interesting plot if the heavy
1: metal band Steppenwolf had been the villains? (laughs) I hadn't given it a moment's thought until now, and I'm going to answer yes. Okay, so DC
2: Comics have struggled a bit to compete with Marvel movies. They have. Maybe they should have taken my notes about Steppenwolf as the villains. Maybe they shouldn't. Does Justice League (laughs) rival the Avengers? That's Uh, what we want
0: to know. uh,
1: I don't don't think so. Mark, it is better than Batman versus Superman. I'll definitely give it that. But it's not as good as Wonder Woman. I thought So, better than A Trip to the Dental Surgery? But not as good as Christmas. (laughs) Uh, That's, that's a, that's a reasonable uh, analogy. Look, um, you, you are exactly right. The DC Comics, um, stable of superheroes, most prominently led by Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, have just not done as well recently, apart from the Dark Knight films against Marvel, the Avengers, X-Men, um, all that, all that kind of crowd. And they, what they, what Justice League uh, doesn't have or what the Avengers always seem to have is a better grasp on how to be Funny, light-hearted, but also engaging and interesting, and also the chemistry within the team. I didn't find that the the this the, this league actually had much going on up on screen together when they when they banded together and tried to unite. They look the film admirably tries to chuck in a lot of banter and uh, the usual heroics and the struggles with being part of a team. and Big action set pieces. I
2: understand there is at least one very funny scene where um, Aquaman accidentally sits on Wonder Woman's. Rope lasso of Truth. Lasso
1: of Truth? <laughs> that, that's right. Look, there, there are these moments of that, and uh, there are more than what you might expect, particularly if you were writing off um, DC Comics after Batman versus Superman. But that would only be the case if you hadn't seen Wonder Woman. Because again, that film, I thought, like, refreshed, revived, suggested that DC Comics could rival what Marvel is, is doing. That was a really, that was a movie that I thought injected new blood into a fairly tired genre, the superhero films with Wonder Woman. Here on Justice League, look, she gets a reasonable run, Wonder Woman. Gal Godot does another fine job. But overall, Justice League will not tear down the Avengers it just can't do it so it sounds like you're cautiously recommending Justice League to superhero fans Um, look I am I am there's plenty out there that that love Batman Superman Wonder Woman I don't know who this cyborg guy is he seems like he's come from Marvel Comics like a back edition somewhere you know in the 1960s and being roped in because he's an African American character I can't see much other reason why he's part of, of this and why some other more prominent DC Comics figure like Green Lantern is Green Lantern Part of the Justice League. Well, he, he will be eventually, I believe. Hey, eventually, listen, for
2: for what it's worth, if I think Cyborg is trying to represent the common experience that most people have with their MacBook Pros, <laughs> okay? Because he's uh, he's kind of melded with a supercomputer that's constantly upgrading itself and and seems to be causing more problems by its upgrades than anything else. See, doesn't that sound like MacBook?
1: Yeah, a little, yeah. A, little a little bit. Look, this is again from <laughs> director Zack Snyder, a name you may not know, but he's the guy behind the recent Superman film, Man of Steel, and behind. Batman versus Superman, look, I think he's fine as a director, but he can tend to be quite predictable in the way that he packages things up. The sort of performances that he gets from people, and actually, I'm not really down with the look and feel of these films. I think that the special effects are often really quite dark and gloomy, and I don't, I don't quite understand. Like the there's so much going on, but it feels to me a lot like a video game. I don't understand why they've gone for that look and feel so often in these DC films. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just
2: quickly, if you had to weigh up, I mean, the other big release that's sitting on the other side of this of this equation it's obviously Thor Ragnarok if you had to weigh up Thor Ragnarok versus Justice League you've only got one ticket to
1: buy what are you buying Thor hands down Uh, because that a little bit like Wonder Woman refreshed this tiring genre of superhero films just by tweaking things a little bit and very similarly Thor Ragnarok and Justice League are very predictable storylines you should know exactly where it's going the villains tend to be all the same etc etc but Thor Ragnarok breathes some new life into this where I don't think Justice League really does well do you find it amazing how super Superhero movies basically tell that
2: same story. <laughs> I do, I, I do. Mean,
1: do well, I mean, we're always needing to be saved. That's kind of a like a, a given. It is, it is, even though uh, Justice League, as the Justice League are going about doing their thing, it doesn't seem like ever that humans are really in threat. Like, humans never seem to be part of the equation, apart from um, the Justice League talking about how much humans need salvation. It seems like they're going about their fighting of Steppenwolf as if like no one on the planet exists. like no, Just humans don't really factor very much. But yes, Mark, one of the things that struck me about Justice League is superhero movies tell this same story over and over of this desperate need that humanity has... For to be, someone to turn to up. ...to be saved, and, and the language of hope and justice and salvation is rich and ripe all the way through Justice League. What I was struck by, though, is how the Justice League, like plenty of other superhero characters... Sort of just talk about it like it's a job, like like heroes just do what heroes do. That's what Thor says. Justice League presents a similar equation, but it does strike me as they're just going about doing a job. They're super gifted, and they seem to want to do the right thing or be good as much as they can. So therefore, they're going to save humans. Guess we better. Yeah, I guess I guess we better. And so for all this talk, and the right at the end, of, towards the end of Justice League, it, it reminds us that um, heroes point to the fact that hope is real. I was thinking, well, if hope is real, and heroes point us towards that. Would that also mean that heroes point us towards salvation? That's a reality. Like, we really need to be saved. And if that's the case, would we not go looking for someone different to the superheroes in Justice League or anywhere else? Or well, at least someone real. Yeah. At least someone real, because they just seem to be doing a job. What if someone went beyond that and went in love and self sacrifice and was doing it so much for us out of compassion and care and mercy that they wanted to save us? Wouldn't that be amazing? And if that was real, wouldn't you want to latch onto that?
2: Hmm. Bible
1: anyone? Okay, <laughs> right. Well,
2: Justice League stars Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, Ezra Miller, and Jason Momoa. It's rated
1: M for action violence and is now fighting for your salvation and box office dollar at a cinema near you. Still to come on the big picture, the original Batman movie, does Adam West beat Ben Affleck? Yes. And Mark's <laughs> top five stranger superheroes that deserve a movie. Welcome back. Justice League that we talked about before the break stars Mark's favorite actor of all time Ben Affleck I repeat favorite actor yes. of all time that would be untrue uh, it's but what isn't untrue what is true is that Ben Affleck stars in Justice League as the latest big screen version of the Cape Crusader before him plenty of others have had a crack at the bat. And everyone from Christian Bale to Michael Keaton. And if you can remember this, where most people try not to, George Clooney. Now, while you might struggle to remember all of the Batman and the Batman movies, we're willing to bet that you didn't know the original Batman movie was released in 1966. Mm -hmm. 1966 Batman the movie. So for the vault this week for our superhero education, Empire Magazine's Dave Brown takes us back to the funky first outing of Batman on the big screen
0: it's very groovy it's a spin-off of the old tv show so it stars adam west and burt ward as batman and robin and it was like a best of of the tv show so you had all the best villains in there and these are classic actors playing the brilliant bad guys so you had caesar romero playing joker you had burgess meredith playing the penguin uh frank gorsham playing the riddler and lee Meriwether playing catwoman who was a change because the tv show also had Julie Newmar and Eartha Kitt as, as Catwoman, and the bad guys all got together and dehydrated the world's governments and leaders and held them to ransom, and that's basically the plot. And it's all kinds of awesome.
1: All kinds of awesome. But just going back to the bit where you said the plot's about them dehydrating world leaders, like they were a bit thirsty. That was that was that was all of these villains, which sounds amazing. In one movie, you get like somewhere around ten villains almost conspiring, and the best plan they can come up with is to make world leaders thirsty.
0: Look, I did say this is awesome, but I also should add: look, it's very, very silly, very, very camp, and very, very daft. The TV show when it came out, it, it was always cool. meant to be funny, but there was a little smidge of seriousness in there. But I think they soon realised that people actually like the funny stuff and they like the silly stuff. So this had Batman grooving in discos. It had him hanging over the ocean on a uh, on a uh, rope ladder, and a shark jumping up to bite him. So he pulls out his uh shark repellent bat spray.
1: Holy shark repellent bat spray. Oh,
0: no. How awesome is that? It, like Everyone in Australia should
1: have one of those <laughs> connected to <their> utility belt. <laughs> so, Dave, uh, that's some notable parts of the, uh, that original Batman movie from the 60s. Anything else that stands out to you, particularly in contrast with where Batman has gone on screens, everything from the yeah. Tim Burton movies in the 80s, 90s, into especially the Dark Knight films from director Christopher oh. Nolan, how do you think this original then compares with where modern audiences best know Batman now?
0: It's like chalk and cheese, really. I guess the Tim Burton films watched now kind of come across as a, they were really serious then, but you watch it now with a print soundtrack and Jack Nicholson going OTT as a Joker. They're pretty camp. So, really, that was like the stepping stone to kind of Chris Nolan's. Batman films, which are and just and Batman in Justice League, and they're super serious, and you just couldn't get further away. It's kind of like War and Peace versus Play School almost. <laughs> they are so <laughs> fun. In, terms of, in, in terms of style and and kind of just, just the way they portray the character. I mean, Nolan's Batman's obviously just so serious, and whoever plays him, whether it's a you know Ben Affleck nowadays, it's like or Christian Bale, so serious and always a gruff voice, whereas. Adam West Batman was like doing the Batsusi and, and just being very, very silly.
1: But Dave, uh, to finish up on that original Batman movie, in all seriousness, if you are a serious Batman fan, you definitely have to check out this film, do you not?
0: You do. Look, even just for curiosity, I think I think anyone who didn't give birth in the 60s or didn't watch the TV show in its numerous reruns in the 70s will probably raise an eyebrow or two, but I think completely still need to see this just to see that a completely different direction the Cape Crusader could, could go.
1: Now let's face it, most people who go see Justice League this week at cinemas, and that will be a lot of people because it's a blockbuster, it's got superheroes in it, and that therefore means loads of people go to see it. Those who are going to see it are going to be met with a whole new superhero they've never heard of. I was definitely one of those at the preview I went to. I am certainly talking about Cyborg, a character who's become fused with an adaptive learning computer that continually upgrades his abilities, etc, etc. (laughs) <laughs> for our top five this I really wasn't that into the whole cyborg character, and I don't reckon everyone else will be either. Now, for our top five this week, though, you're going to be into this. Mark has found five more even weirder superheroes that he believes deserve their own movies. Yes, indeed, I'm going to present
2: you with the top five strangest superheroes I want to see in a movie. I've gone trawling through the back catalogs of DC Comics and Marvel, failed members of the Justice League, rejects from the X-Men, the Avengers, the Legion of Superheroes, those who didn't make the cut. And what I discovered may sound weird to you, but just remember that Disney acquired the comic book publisher Marvel for $4 and gained all the back catalog. So these people really could arrive. Let me begin by presenting you with... Five. Jazz. As in, as in the musical form, Jazz? No, actually, it's <laughs> I don't know why they call him Jazz, because it makes no sense whatsoever. Jazz appears to be a very special case X-Men, okay? Because he doesn't have super abilities. Oh, oh, oh right, okay. I was going to say, are they all
1: kind of special? <laughs> well, uh, no. they're
2: all special. Jazz is so special, he doesn't actually have super abilities. That's his super ability? His ability He's is... He's like me. Oh, no, his ability is a super look, okay? His skin is blue. That's the sum total. He doesn't have any Mystique? special abilities Mystique? whatsoever. the X-Men,
1: is already... Miss X-Men Mystique is already blue, so... Yeah, yeah,
2: but she can do things. <laughs> she can transform. Jazz can't actually do anything, but his skin is blue, and that qualifies him as an X-Men. I personally would be a little let down by that as a, a superpower. But anyway, he is an aspiring rapper, so that's something. Great, a blue-rapping X-Men Origins movie. Yeah, so I'm bringing him in at number five, because strangely he represents, to me, kind of like Batman. Um, nothing really special. It's just an ageing guy in a rubber jumpsuit. <laughs> four. But now at number four, how's this for a superheroine who should be on your big screen? Dory Andresen, also known as Rainbow Girl. Rainbow Girl. Can wield the mysterious... These are real characters, by the way. Oh, I'm sure you're not characters. making this up. I'm not making this up. Rainbow Girl can wield the mysterious power of the emotional spectrum. The
1: emotional <laughs>
2: spectrum. But basically it means that she has the ability to give herself unpredictable mood swings. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, she can't sort of affect other people. It's just no, all in, it's all just in her. her. She's just,
2: this is her superpower. She's angry. And then she's, she's kind of like su- super angry. No, 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 no. She's just angry. Oh, right. <laughs> and then she's sad. And then she's pensive. And then she's happy. Now she's angry again. I believe that there's more than one rainbow girl out there. You know, I really feel that this actually could be a superheroine who might actually really connect. Apparently, Rainbow Girl aspired to join the Legion of Superheroes, but instead had to settle for the Legion of Substitute Heroes, (laughs) which I believe she then channeled the almighty power of A Bit Put Out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Super A Bit Put Out. Three
2: three, I've got to say, uh, here's a hero that I think might have a future. Is just not really, it's going to up the rating straight away of any film he's in. Zeitgeist.
1: Zeitgeist. <laughs> cool sounding name. I know,
2: but what he does is not so cool. Alex Clooney has a very distinctive mutant power which enables him to spew acidic vomit from his mouth. Watch out, vomit boy. Exactly. He tragically discovered his superpower while making out with a girl. Oh. <laughs> no, don't. Now, apparently she survived so there you go there's something nice um, his vomit is highly acidic able to burn through 10 centimetre thick steel in less than 30 seconds now I figure that's a finale stand back Avengers I'll take care of this villainous Ultron uh, uh. Oh, so
1: so he can just throw up on Will or does he actually have yeah, to eat thro- something terrible oh, and then well- wait just wait a while just hang on just hang on Ultron wait a minute wait a minute it's coming it's coming here it is wait 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 no wait no I'm feeling better now Wait. hang on wait like, what happens I, with Zeitgeist? I, I'm actually gonna hang. I'm, I'm just gonna do a quick car trip on a windy road. <laughs> Where's a roller coaster? Uh,
2: oh, I want to know. Is it a distance weapon? <laughs> Projectile <laughs> can, vomiting. Uh, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> does he have to stop and refill? Is quick? Somebody get me six fish <laughs> milkshakes.
1: Refill. <laughs> 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 no.
2: Two. Okay, but i have saved the best of last. I can barely contain myself. Um, my fa- my second favorite. A um, comic book hero. I've discovered who oh, no, deserves. I know we've still got two more. I oh, can't no, really who, believe this.
1: Who deserves his own? And these, are all, is, these, are, repeat, all these are all real. I just want to repeat: these are all real superheroes in this top five of superhero weird superheroes you think should get their own movie. Go back into the
2: comic book annals of history, and you will find these characters staring you in the face. Some of them a little shamefacedly. Okay, here is number two: arm fall off, boy. <laughs> No, I've got to say, I'm just going to say that again because some people are now pulling the car over to try and work out what I just said. Yeah, Arm fall-off boy. Guess what arm fall-off boy's superpower I was is?
1: just scratching my head about what could his possible superhero superpower be. Well, let me put it this way. You wouldn't
2: be scratching your head with both arms. Oh. Okay. So, you see, arm fall-off boy's superpower is that he can detach one of his limbs and use it as a club to beat evildoers. So, basically, he takes his arm off and smacks people around the head with it. Yep. (laughs) Sadly, he was actually denied entry into the Legion of Superheroes. Ah, like
1: Rainbow Girl.
2: I know, which I feel like is not very, you know, disability inclusive.
1: No. People should have thought about that one. No, she got angry and he just tore his arm off. (laughs) Well, he just took an arm off. I don't know.
2: Anybody want this? (laughs)
1: It's useless to me now. (laughs) I don't know. But I've saved the best to last. Have you? Well, I'm, I've been pretty staggered by i Fall Off Boy, Zeitgeist, <laughs> Rainbow Girl, and who was at number five again? Oh, that's right, Jazz. Okay, well, wait for this. This is the character who will be, I, I, I guarantee,
2: within, within minutes of me announcing this, some producer, someone will go, Hang on a second. There's a missed opportunity. This character will be gracing a great screen near you. Hell cow. Again, that's real. Hell cow. Hell cow. cow. What the heck is hell cow? Hell cow's backstory. Please. One night, Dracula, while travelling through the Swiss countryside, (laughs) finds a cow named Bessie and drinks her blood. Mm -hmm. Bessie's owner discovers her lifeless, bitten body and buries her. Three days later, Bessie arises from the dead and begins to roam the earth, seeking revenge on Dracula. And hell cow is born. (laughs) I've got to say This is the natural successor to Babe it's really, serious. This is the animal you want on your side Who cares about a red dog Honestly, you want Hellcow
1: uh, now, sadly, because Hell Cow isn't yet a real movie, although Mark's um, pitch just then is obviously putting it straight into production, because it isn't a real movie, we thought in honour of these weird superheroes that haven't yet got their own movie, we thought we'd play something from the trailer to Mystery Men, a real movie about weird superhero mo- superheroes that actually did get their own movie. A new league of heroes that stepped to a different beat. Well, I am a ticking time bomb of fury. I don't
3: find you threatening at all. <laughs>
0: We're not your classic heroes. We're the other guys. Mystery men. I'm invisible! Can you see me? Yes. Yes. Wow. Maybe you should put some shorts on or something if you want to keep fighting evil today.
1: Or just go and call Hellcow, and (laughs) Hellcow will help you save the day. Arm fall-off, boy. Give us a hand. Wow. Uh, that's See what a, I did That's there? a top five close, yeah, okay. almost to end top fives. And that has ended this show for this week. But coming up next week, Mark. Standout Kid Movies coming your way in 2018. That's right. As well as Charles Dickens in The Man Who Invented Christmas. Plus, time to learn the power of kind in the marvellous movie Wonder. I also will be a Wonder next week. And Ben McKeckin. And I'll be looking forward to seeing you as Mark Hadley. See you then
0: the big picture is a bible society Australia production sharing the light of god's word into every corner of your world thanks for listening start your day with life words subscribe to hope1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au